Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to tabletop game design. This episode has been made possible thanks to the excellent folks behind Breakout Con 2017 in Toronto, Ontario. Episode 116, Creating Horror in Games. Recorded at BreakoutCon 2017. Presented by Michelle Lyons McFarland and Jonathan Gilmore. Moderated by Jacqueline Brick. Jackie? No, I will cut no, you. Don't do that. Do not call me Jackie. <laughs> it's an actual short. Jax is fine. Jax, well, or Jax. Oh, are you here? Good. Oh, yeah. Just signal me in the back. Okay, thank you. He's our water facilitator. Okay, water facilitator. <laughs> I know. I've always wanted to have a water facilitator. Well, it's my. It's actually. All right. Like so now that we actually have all of our people. Hi, guys. Welcome to uh, our Harvey Games channel. Uh, my name is Jacqueline Brick. I am a developer with Damocles Thread Development. I have also freelanced with Onyx Path Publishing and Tom Gassavy, working on uh, different horror games. Um, and I'm going to let my panelists introduce themselves, starting with you. Hello, I'm Jonathan Gilmore. I'm a game designer. Uh, I co-designed Dead of Winter. Um, and I need to turn that off. And your phone is ringing from, right in front of the microphone. Because I'm not here. That's the problem. It's Kate oh looking God. for you. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just as a note, because uh, this was in the last panel, if you guys bang on the table, I'm going to smack you on the hand, because if you bang on the table, it will play in the microphone. No. Got it. Gentle. You can tell I'm important. I'm wearing a corset. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone on the podcast, I'm wearing a corset. I'm sorry you're not here. She is. It's lovely. It lovely. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, you could, sorry, you, you wanted to continue. Oh, no, I, think ringing. <laughs> I think that was it. Uh, Dead Winter, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, uh, Dinosaur Island, cool. bunch of upcoming stuff. That's totally awesome. Uh, hi, I'm Michelle Lyons McFarland. I am currently the president of the Indie Game Developers Network. Um, I have worked on a lot of things over a lot of years. Um, I edit, write, and develop for. Onyx Path. Uh, currently, my company, Growling Door Games, has Chill 3rd Edition out, um, which we're super excited to have a license for that. Um, yeah, and I worked on a lot of stuff, so yay! You want prolific. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> uh, you're all set. Yeah, that was right. Awesome. Uh, I'm Andrew Medeiros. I'm an RPG slash LARP designer, or at least I fancy myself one. I've written a few games, uh, co-written several Urban Shadows and The Forgotten, which is a live-action role-playing game, and currently kickstarting my third game, The Watch, which is on Kickstarter right now. Cool. All right, so let's just jump right into it. Um, so what's absolutely necessary for a game to be considered a horror game, in your opinion, and what are some good examples? So if anyone wants to start, by Anybody? I always start with you. Okay. You're sitting closest to her. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, a really good example is Mansions of Madness Second Edition that just came out this last year. Um, and the thing that it does really well is hiding information from the players. Um, I think it's that sense of mystery and the unknown 
that's really important for horror board games. That makes sense. Um, so I'm going to say that to be considered a horror game, uh, there has to be a sense of risk and the odds being against your character, right? And possibly against you as a player um, in terms of success, but definitely against your character. So there has to be a sense that the stakes are high and success is not guaranteed. Now, that can transfer from horror into other genres, but it's easy then to find that sense of horror no matter what you're playing. Those are good answers. Uh, for me, I, I, what I consider to be the core of horror from my experiences is um, the mundane kind of flipped on right? So things that are presented as, as very normal or as one thing get inverted or twisted and, and surprise you. So there's that element of never quite knowing what to expect, even from things that seem obvious. The uncanny. Mm-hmm. Okay. There we go. So we were talking, you guys mentioned a lot of things like hiding information from the player or, you know, hide error. Sorry, just lost my train of thought. It's okay. Um, so hiding information from the player or making the player feel like the odds are against them. Um, how do you do that without making the player feel like they're totally powerless? Like the character could feel powerless, but how do you do that without making the player feel powerless? Um, well, for me, I think that the first thing is that horror requires buy-in. You can't run a horror game with people who aren't there to play a horror game. Um, the social contract at that point breaks down, and it, it leaves that sort of imaginative game space and becomes this like person-to-person issue, which is not what you want. For a horror game, you have to have that buy-in, because horror is really... It's hard to get that emotional scare at a table, because no matter what's going on in-game, there's always the fact that you're sitting at a table across from people, you've got you know, snacks on the table, um, you may have pets running around, you know, and you can do some things to limit that. You can you know, dim the lights, you can put on spooky music, uh, you, can, you can try and adjust the environment to make that conducive, but if people aren't bought into the idea that that's the experience they're gonna share, then it's almost doomed from the beginning. And once you're bought into that as players, then it's much easier to feel like, you know, I have some power here even if it's limited and that's what I've signed on for. Mm. I agree. I think um, another really important thing is giving them a glimmer of hope. Like, in Dead of Winter, it's really a game that beats down the players and makes them feel very vulnerable and that it's hard to win. But even in the times when it's the darkest, like there's always like, oh, if we do this and this and get the perfect role, like we may pull through. Yeah, Dead Winter is that like really cool to use that as an example as well, where it's super dark, everything's so depressing, you're always up against the rope. <laughs> but there's these moments of like almost comedy that are <coughs> they they both relieve you and remind you that like how bad it is. Right? Mm-hmm. It sets that new that new bar for you. Like, oh, right, this is funny, but only contrasted with this terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. right? Otherwise, it, it wouldn't have the same impact. Uh, so the fact that the, the glimmers, as you mentioned, are so poignant uh, really reflects the darkness of the setting. Um, Andrew, question for you. Yeah, of course. Um, so is it any different in LARP than it is in tabletop? It... I mean, Michelle's point was really solid uh, about buy-in, right? If, if you don't have buy-in at the table, forget about it. If you don't buy-in at LARP, there's no chance of any suspense happening. I mean, you've got to really be into your character and want to want to be scared 
um, and, and to be surprised. Otherwise, you'll, you'll experience. So you won't feel anything in a LARP otherwise. So what is the best way to get buy-in for a horror game? And that might seem like a stupid question, but there are a lot of people who really, you know, maybe don't know how to get by into a horror game or maybe don't know how to ask if people want to play a horror game or think it cheapens the experience. Well, I'm not a huge, huge fan. I mean, there are some games where it's appropriate, but I'm not a huge fan of having an antagonistic relationship between the GM and the players. Um, and I think particularly when you're talking about horror, horror, um, that holds true, right? Because if you're on the same page, so the GM is providing the world's challenges, but the GM is not out to get you specifically, um, you run the risk of it moving from this shared kind of emotional, thrilling experience to moving to a competitive experience. And that, because we're always, if we're feeling uncomfortable as people, we're always looking for ways to undercut that, right? The deadliest thing in a horror LARP is that nervous joke at just the wrong moment that sends everyone into gales of laughter, whether or not it was actually funny. But to relieve that tension, right? If you take that tension and you turn it into an us versus them, then you've just created a win condition rather than everyone experiencing this emotional kind of like unease. Mm. And so you need to kind of keep it where even if you're keeping information back, like you mentioned earlier, that everybody's on board with the fact that you're doing that, right? So that you don't turn it into, don't allow them to kind of shift this into a different emotional experience that's a little easier to handle. That's my take. And I think that's something I like a lot about a lot of the GM-less RPGs is that it doesn't have that antagonistic relationship. It's to me, it's easy. It's easier for everybody to buy into it because we're all building that story and that scenario together. So, mm-hmm. and uh, Mansions of Madness does the same thing by removing the the player who plays the bad guy and replacing it with an app. So you don't have to feel bad about the app. Punching down the players the whole game because that's what it's supposed to do. Fuck that robot. Yeah. That makes sense. Anything else? I thought this can't put them in the word. So, just going off that a little bit, uh, some games uh, very much describe themselves as personal horror or horror focused on the uh, player characters instead of just sort of being a horrific environment a la Call of Cthulhu. Um, how do you do personal horror uh, versus atmospheric horror, and how do you do personal horror without making it seem like the GM has an antagonistic relationship with the players? I think personal horror is so much easier to achieve as a GM. Okay. Um, because often you're focusing on a specific character, so as long as the two of you have the buy-in, even other jokes happening or other distractions, usually it's much easier to create it, a feeling of tension between two people. Um, it's just simple, right? Less numbers, less chance of, of getting off track of each other. Um, so that's that's definitely my preference when I'm running a horror game, is making sure that uh, everyone gets their own scene where I can really make them um, feel a bit of a bit of fear and a bit of uh, like the willies, if you want. Uh, and I know, personally, as a player, when I experience that, um, it's, it's the best experience, right? Like, often a, a scene description or narration rarely gets to people when my character's there on their own facing something. Uh, it, it has a lot more weight to it for some reason and, and as long as me and the GM or me and the player are, are on the same page um, it it seems to work more consistently 
that's certainly my preference. I don't have anything to add to that one. I, I think he got most of the points. Um, I think actually something like the X card is a big uh, help in something like this because personal horror takes a lot of trust um, in order to achieve it. And the X card allows somebody to opt out of details or information in a scene that they are not prepared to deal with in this sort of entertainment space. It just comes up randomly. Um, and by having that there, it actually, whether or not it gets used, tends to enable additional trust because you know you have a safety valve. You know you have a way out if you really need it and you're not coping with whatever it is that just happened. And when you're dealing with horror, you're dealing with people's close-to-the-surface triggers, right? Um, like, I have a friend who cannot tolerate spiders. She just, like, pictures of spiders, whatever it is, and she got into a game where the big bad was a spider critter. And she was like, I can't cope with this. And so she and the GM had a discussion about, you know, could we find a way to tone this down where it doesn't bother you as much? And she was able to work through it because she didn't want to derail everything, but she wanted her feelings taken into consideration. And just the fact that she could have that conversation meant that she could then play the game. So having an ability to make sure that out of character, the player has some input, (coughs) even if in character, horrible things are going to happen, I think goes a long way towards making that personal horror work. And I think that safety valve helps let you push the limits a little bit too, because... Mm -hmm. You can explore things that you might not have just being concerned about the other players at the table. Because that's there, so they can say no if they don't like it, but you can explore the things you want to. Yeah. Yep, yep. I've definitely found that the safety tools tend to push me further, and others too. So we have not a better experience, but certainly we push limits we otherwise wouldn't mm-hmm. and have a great time. And, you know, Why do you think that safe. is? Sorry? Why do you think that is? Like Jonathan said, like once once you you know that there's a, a tool in place for them as well as you, um, you can approach things like even maybe slowly. Whereas otherwise you'd be like, I'm not even gonna risk it because I don't know this person as well, or maybe we haven't role played this specific theme before, so I'm gonna steer clear of it. But with the safety tool, I can I can inch toward it or even step toward it, and uh, often find myself closer to something I wouldn't have otherwise tried. And so I can have new experiences and, and so, things. assuming you have players who have buy-in, uh, you have a cool game set up. Um, what is what what is, what are some suggestions you would give a beginner horror GM? Um, so the first thing that I would suggest, honestly, if you want to start playing horror but you're not sure how to manage a game overall, is play Dread. Um, yep. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dread. Okay, so so it's for those of you who aren't, uh, Dread the mechanic for Dread Dread is a Jenga tower, um, and so everything that you do, you make a pull, and the harder it is, the more pulls you have to make from this tower. When the tower falls, your character is out. Whether that's they die, whether that's they're they fall off the cliff in the island, and we don't know what happens to them. Um, And so it's a really simple mechanic. Characters are basically five questions. So it's very narratively based, and the story goes on, and you just use that to resolve. But what happens is that it's a kinesthetic expression of horror, of of the name of the game, Dread, because the more pulls you get, the more antsy everyone gets. Whereas if you're just telling the story, it's really hard to create that emotion. But by everyone having this visual and, you know, 
tactile representation of horror at the table and the mounting stakes of the game with the rickety tower that gets higher and higher and higher. It builds that tension in a way that it's really helpful to achieve that when you're at the beginning of your horror, you know, GMing path so that you know what you're shooting for. And then it doesn't require you to juggle mechanics at the same time that you're trying to juggle the table. Mm-hmm. And, and I love, like, the player conflict in it, too. Like, if mm-hmm. somebody attacks somebody else, you just continue to pull blocks out one after the other <laughs> until either it falls down or one of the players stops. So it's really nice. I have a, a little bit of a funny story about Dread. Mm-hmm. Two years ago at Gen Con, um, my friend wanted to run a game of it. And at Gen Con... He could not find a Jenga tower. He had forgot his at home. <laughs> and you would imagine with 40,000 people there, somebody would have one. But none of the vendors were selling them. Uh, so he ended up having to use the name Animal Pond Animal from Haba, which is like a bunch of little animal shapes that you stack up. And you stack them up instead of pulling them off. So it has like the reverse effect that you're yeah. building it. But it worked perfectly. He like rethemed it to set it in a jungle. So it was like thematic <laughs> about setting up the animals. <laughs> but awesome. That's fantastic. Dread is interesting, like, the tension is, is there, right? People see the tower, and when it's getting really rickety and someone has to make a pull, everyone stops, and they're just quiet while that person's hovering, and they're just like, you can see everyone hold their breath and just mm-hmm. wait. And when the pull happens, there's just this release of tension, which often is sort of in whoops and yells and, like, like excitement, but it's just like, people are just releasing the tension, and it's so... Yep. Solid in there. And then they're right back. You start right at the back. game, and everybody's sitting at the table where the tower is. And as the game progresses, people start sitting further and further and further <laughs> away until they're like eight to ten feet staring holes in this tower, <laughs> trying to think about what their character is going to do so the zombies don't eat them. And, and that's really that experience that you want if you're going to, you know, that you can't dream of that running a a trad horror game if you've never done it before but it comes so easily in dread that it's really worth trying if you haven't and I, th- and I think another important thing in any good storytelling is like having crescendos throughout the game and that does it naturally because when the tower falls down you set it back up and everybody has like a little like a low you, you peak as it starts to get rickety and then when it falls it goes back down and you have these peaks and valleys of tension which is great in horror or anything, like if it's an adventure RPG or whatever. But that's a good point. Like in horror, like keeping your foot on the gas all the time is not any way to establish horror because people it would become people's new norm in the game. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're used to just constantly dealing with with these threats or uh, descriptions of things that are horrific, they're just going to become not desensitized in the right word, but they're just kind of used to it in that game. Inured. Yeah, it'll yeah. never be. It'll lose its its uh, effects. So you just kind of like like I said, peaks and valleys, right? Bring it in, make it high, and then bring it down. Let them kind of settle, get used to things again, then bring it back up. And, and at the risk of it just becoming a panel about why Dread is awesome. Uh, right. <laughs> Another thing that it does really well is that it really sets up interpersonal conflicts early on, like in the character creation and you know, with the way that the GM gives the players questions to answer. And that's something that, like, powered by the Apocalypse games and... Uh, Urban Shadows does really well because it has this debt system where, you know, you will owe the other players debts, and it adds a lot of interpersonal conflict. Which I think that tension is important on top of the overall. This is scary, but oh, we also have these things going on between us, and we can't just focus on the important thing. We, as humans, focus on really unimportant things. Yeah, we for chills stole a little bit from that visual 
queue uh, that you have in Dread, and we introduced a token system that uses black and white tokens. White tokens are ones that the player can use. Black tokens, the flip side, are ones that the unknown can use against you. We don't have as much interpersonal conflict, but it's that team of, of ghost, nasty monster hunters against the unknown trying to save innocence in the world. And so you start out with mostly white tokens, but as you use the art and you figure things out, they flip. And that flipping from white to black raises the tension level at the table because everybody's got their eye on those tokens and they know what they mean. So having that kind of visual representation can actually help bring that to the table if you're not going to use Jenga Tower. <laughs> No, that's, that's great. Um, if, assuming you don't have a Jenga tower or tokens or a little stack of animals <laughs> you can build, uh, what are some other good ways to introduce horror into a game? Again, like horror is really just the drama. Like it's that's a facet of that genre. So like making sure that you have really interesting relationships in your game. I think that's a goal for any RPG. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's got dramatic elements. But uh, you want them to care about people, right? Uh, and about their own character, of course, too. Otherwise, if they don't care about their own lives and, and sanity, they're not going to care about the risks. So I think that you've got to establish these really strong ties so that you can do things with that. And not necessarily endanger those ties, but just, you know, tweak them, turn them, endanger them, whatever it needs to. Because once they have good relationships, it increases their investment, which gets you that buy-in. And you can play with that. So it's not a, an aid per se, but it's another goal you can strive for in any game. So Stephen King refers to three types of horror um, in his book, Dance Macabre, and he's talked about it in a bunch of other places. Um, there's terror, there's horror, and there's the gross out, right? <clears throat> which, is, which is basically gore. Um, Terror is like the highest level where you're actually kind of in fear for your life and you've got that emotional bleed. And that's really what he goes for most of the time. If he can't get that, he goes for horror, which is just your revulsion at what's going on in the world around you, right? So terror is like fear for yourself. Horror is fear for man's inhumanity to man kind of thing. And the gross out part is just like blood, gore, slasher movie kind of thing, right? Um, people eating people's faces, whatever. Um, those three aspects are what you're going to use to get the scare in your game, right? Because having the stakes is really good. Mm -hmm. um, you need to get that buy-in and the risk to relationships. <coughs> but your threats are going to come within those types, pretty much. Otherwise, you might end up with, if you think about movies, um, like something that has a threat to those relationships might be a movie like Payback or something like that. John Wick, because mm -hmm. I just saw John Wick 2 the other day. <laughs> um, which I don't think makes a good horror, but it's, it's very interesting. So you've got, you've got this tension and, and these threats, but it's not really a horror genre. But if you have... If you introduce, say, more torture, or so you've got the gross-out feeling, or you've got that feeling of somebody's going to do something terrible to somebody else for no good reason. Well, you've got something like the movie Get Out, which came out recently. Get Out is perfect, mm -hmm. yes. right? Because by and large, it's not the gross-out. Um, 
it lives really well in that horror range and occasionally even mounts up to terror when you're thinking about all the stuff that's going on and what the larger picture is and when you start to really identify with the main character. Um, so that is an excellent example of, of both ramp up and down um, for the different types of scares you can get. Um, just go watch it if you haven't. It's really cool. Um, so you mentioned emotional bleed. Uh, is bleed necessary for a horror game and is it even desirable? Can we start by defining that for everybody sure. that doesn't know? Um, so bleed, for everyone that doesn't know, is essentially... Uh, I call it unconscious emotional buy-in. It's when you start to feel the emotions of your character. Oh, we're talking about bleeding in specifically. There's another form of bleed, which is... Uh, sorry, that's bleed out. Bleed in is when your character feels the emotions you're feeling out of the game. Um, but we're talking about bleed in, uh, bleed out, rather, with horror. So... You're asking, is it necessary? Yeah, is it is it desirable and or necessary? And how do you deal with it? I, I think it's desirable in any game, because mm-hmm. for me, I feel like the experience that you're trying to convey to the player is the most important thing. Um, and that was something that was really important in Dead of Winter, is we wanted to make it so that the players felt like their characters and would start to care for their characters and make it accessible to people who don't play role-playing games to role-play some and feel worried about them and make decisions for non-mechanical reasons, which I've seen that happen a ton with that game where people will ignore, where they have a choice with something that would make the game considerably easier from that point on, like burning down a school full of zombified children or not burning down that school, and they'll choose not to burn it down because that's what they consider zombified children. Right. Yes. So I think I think that's an example of bleed, kind of where you you start to feel those emotions that you feel like your character should, and mm-hmm. I think it's important. It's not horrific, but I played Battlestar Galactica, and I intentionally sabotaged the group because I was playing Baltar. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I would do. It's like, so like it's it's a different thing, but totally board games can really create that that surprising buy-in and bleed. Oh. Well, I mean, if you're doing horror, you're doing a genre that's designed to evoke emotion. That's the whole point to play a horror game, right? Um, if you didn't want a genre that was devi- that that was supposed to evoke that kind of feeling, you'd play something else. I mean, you might tell a vampire story, but that doesn't mean it'd be scary, right? Um, you want to have that kind of feeling of threat and terror in a safe way that you can experience that you can just walk away from afterwards and go, ah, oh, it's that catharsis, right? That's that's what drives us to horror. That's why they invented the horror genre back in the day. Um, so I think that having some bleed is a good idea. Kind of like when you go to scary movies and you get back and you're like, I'm going to watch the British Bake Show now <laughs> because I need to come down. But you wanted that in the first place and that's why you go. Um, so I think some of it is desirable. I think, again, kind of like with the X card, the ability to manage it and, and be able to have you know, a, a way to say, I'm, I'm not cool with this anymore. I, I need to do something else for a minute and like back off is important in order to make that comfortable or desirable. Okay. Um, where are we on time? 3.29. All right, well, then I'm going to start taking questions because that's all my questions for the panelists.
Um, we will start with you. Uh, do you have any experiences or advice for horror with a group of 20 to 30 players? Don't. <laughs> um, what what format are you talking about? Uh, large format, actually. I actually do, but I'm going to let them answer first. Um, I would start off with saying small groups. You're not going to get everybody in there to be equally terrified at the same time mm -hmm. unless you manage to really get Cthulhu to break through the, <laughs> the fourth wall. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that that's the kind of thing where if you can divide people, right, if you can get them into small groups and then deal with those groups individually as everybody can, then you can ratchet up the tension in different parts of the room and that will help raise it overall. That would be my best suggestion. Um, yeah, this is something I have done before and what Michelle said is correct. You, if you divide and conquer, that's a great way to do it. Um, if you take off single people as well, and give them different experiences as to what's going on, and you throw the room into a state of confusion and unrest, that's another great way to sort of ratchet up the tension in the room, because then nobody knows what's going on, and you know the lights are flickering. I love using lights and sounds in LARP. Mm -hmm. Just the simple thing of flicking a light switch. If you have a dimmer switch, dimmer switches are godsend in horror LARP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dimmer switches, mynoise.net, um, has a lot of really great horror sounds. We talked about dread. Anything that kinesthetically puts you in this space where something is not right with a capital NR um, will increase the tension like automatically. Yeah, if you think about it like how wolves hunt or prey, predator animals hunt a pack, right? Because people are pack animals. We mm -hmm. like our herds. Um, so where you're taking people off the sides, where you're throwing things off balance, where you're making them move around a lot when they don't necessarily want to, these are, these are psychological ways to kind of ramp things up. And you don't want to take it too far, but you can apply them and you'll have some success. Also, um, this is a weird suggestion, but it works too. Changing the tone of your voice when you're talking to someone alone, and then you start shouting at them! Mm -hmm. And then you go back to this, and you make it very unpredictable as to how you're going to react to them real, like, auto-freak them out. Like, if, if you don't know what you're reacting to and how they're reacting to you, it sets a lot of people right the fuck on edge. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a real important thing, designing games like that. If, it's, if you're looking to design them, like, I spend a lot of time studying about the psychology of, like, survival situations for Dead of Winter, like, even though they weren't, because you can't study about zombie survival, but, like, I read books about, like, surviving the people who get trapped on mountains or on an island, and what happens to groups of people when they have to survive together. So, anything you can do to research the kind of situations that you want to portray really helps, because you can learn a lot of little tricks, like... You know, we kill off a lot of characters in Dead of Winter because it makes the people care for their characters more when they lose characters frequently. Mm -hmm. and that's not something you can necessarily do in a LARP, right. but you know, any kind of tricks like that that you can pick up help. And I mean, psychology is a great yeah. way to do it. Um, also, just for meta technique, have a room that your players can go to if they are actually feeling overwhelmed. Like, just a room that is bright and is very much out of the game space. So if your players are actually feeling overwhelmed and can't handle what's going on, they can go and sit down for a minute. Uh, safety mechanics are just as important in LARPs as in tabletops, if not more so. 
Absolutely. It goes back to like the safety tools let you yeah. sometimes even step out of your comfort zone in surprising ways. Uh, I mean, I've, I haven't run 20 person large, but the forgotten, I've done 10, 12 before. And it's a wartime survival. Right? You're people in a city under siege and you have to go out at night to get supplies. It's, it's, you're like constantly uh, in fear of your life and for those you care about. And you're just hunkering in this little shelter during the day. You play these, these boring scenes, frankly, that have very little going on. And we have a soundtrack that runs through the whole game. That cues when evening, uh, when the sun sets, and it's time to go. But we, I've permeated the sound effects with little things to freak people out. Right? There's just a single gunshot that sounds like a sniper took a shot out there. Right? Hmm. You have no information as to what it is, but people will often huddle. They will react to that. They will speculate. And they'll create their own horror, which again, enabling people to do their own horror is the best because it takes all the work away from you. And you just need a little little stimuli like that, and that found it works really well. And having played the game myself. Knowing it's coming, it still is. You still get into it. Yeah, it's really exciting. So yeah, sound effects. Huge fan of, of that option. Do you feel like your question was answered? Yeah, you yeah. More questions? Yes, sir. Um, so, uh, when so kind of getting um, off from LARPs and uh, sort of uh, that kind of thing uh, for uh, tabletop games in particular, strategy. So like, I think Terramistica or Scythe or something like that. Do you think it's possible to create? Horror in, in or create a horror type of that game, or are the two objectives or like of those styles of games too dissimilar, or they fight against each other that it's hard to try? And, and you're talking slightly more uh, mechanically driven games, yeah, the, like so Euro type games. games. Like, and how would you like maybe go about trying <laughs> to like create something like that? I think it's it's a difficult balance because, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like the experience is the most important thing, and figuring out what the experience that you want the players to feel, and there has to be a very close mesh between the, the theme and the mechanics. And the thing about a lot of heavier games like Terra Mystica is they're very mechanically driven. Like, even if the things you're doing aren't necessarily <coughs> thematic, they're there to make sure that all the parts work together. Where with Dead of Winter, we kind of focused on, like, what are the actions that we want the players to do, and how can we make those very, very thematic? Like, there's really... The things that we put in there, like cleaning the trash and, like, the mundane things that you wouldn't necessarily think about are all there to force the players to do things that are very thematic and drive that forward. So I think it's tough in a game, if you're going for a Euro-style game, I think it's harder to communicate that because there's a bigger divorce between the theme and the mechanics. If you were to go about it, do you have any like direction or like some advice of where you would start? Or? I think you could hack it. You know, like Dead of Winter, the, the really spooky stuff happens when the crossroad card hits, right? And the game stops and you read off the text and mm -hmm. the scenario hits. And if you're really brave, you don't read off the results, you just read off like the choices. <laughs> right? And a lot of people like wonder, oh my god, what do I do? Then you have a you're taking it to eleven, which is awesome. And I recommend it. So I think you'd have to do something like that where you take your game like looking at Scythe, which is my favorite game right now. Uh, it's not a horror game, it's just a sort of territorial control with war and, and this the emphasis on the worker. Um, but if you could find a way to inject things, like where you stop the game rule wise and do new things with it, mm -hmm. you could probably do some stuff there. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah the, I'm sorry, I didn't need to no, talk over you. No, I think I'm done. Um, Wait, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Steve building. You're such a butt. Um, so, 
the thing <coughs> that you have to think about with mechanics is, you know, what's going to create a sense of tension in that game. So if it's resource-driven, losing resources, uh, losing abilities, whether it's temporary or, or permanent, um, so there's got to be some kind of spiral of decay, I guess. I mean, I don't suggest a death spiral necessarily, but, but in some way that it's you know, affecting what the characters can do and continually limiting them. Um, but then you have to balance that with, is this just going to be frustrating? Right? Yeah. Is it going to create the emotion that you want, or is it just going to limit gameplay? So then you have to find something about that that continues to raise the stakes so that the investment is there, even if the mechanical aspect isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be challenging. Right? It's not impossible, I think, but it's, right, it's going to no. need work. I, mean, at, I, I usually don't say it, but like at its heart, Dead of Winter is a Euro game. Because yeah. Yeah, like yeah, the, the roll the dice and assign them to actions is almost like a I was really inspired by like Feld's Castles of Burgundy. Like where you roll dice and then decide how to spend them. So like at its core it's a Euro game mechanic, but trying to figure out how to do the make all the things that you're doing with that mechanic thematic is what ties it together. Um, there are two suggestions I would make for you. Uh, one is Avery Alder's fabulous game Quiet Year. Which oh is, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is actually a horror resource builder. So um, uh, the Quiet Year, and it's actually about managing the different factions of a city as you prepare for a raid by I think they were called the Winter Shepherds, or yeah. something like that. Um, and it's you get this sort of breakdown in communication because you can't communicate displeasure by saying no, I don't like it. Let's do something else. You only hand someone a displeasure token which then causes their strategy to go downhill, and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suggest looking into that. The second thing, this is going to sound a little silly, so forgive me. Um, the <coughs> Kingdom Builder Crusader Kings 2, it's actually a computer game, um, has a little side quest that pops randomly called The Gate to Hell. And <laughs> like this, this is a really... Like detailed historical yeah, kingdom builder yeah, yeah. simulator, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, a peasant found a flaming hole to hell in the middle of their field. <laughs> what are you going to do? Or like, are you going to send a priest down to exercise it? Or are you going to fill it with stones? And like, it cycles through the different choices, and what you do actually determines the learning score of your kingdom because education is tied to religion. So if you send a priest down to exercise it and you don't have a high enough learning score, then the priest fails to exercise it, and then the people start freaking out, and you know you get these like massive purification ceremonies, and people like the the education level of your kingdom starts dropping. If you fill it in with stones, then people might see you as a heretic, or they might see you as an, an engineer. It's it really depends on at the time what your you know what your skills are and who's in charge, and it's just this weird little thing that pops in the middle of the game, it has a couple of iterations, then it ends, nobody ever talks about it again, <laughs> but it's just like, <coughs> just happened. So, uh, look into that particular line of uh, just having something weird and unexplained happen in the middle of your game, and now you have to deal with it. Black Swan events are great for horror. Um, what, uh, one of my partners has a master's degree in disaster science 
uh, the thing that scares people in disaster preparation and emergency services more than literally anything else is what is referred to as a black swan event, which is something that you have no context for, you don't know how to deal with it, and this is the first time it's ever happened. Sense. And your question's interesting because I'm yeah. thinking all these different things yeah. you can do. I yeah. think you can play with atmosphere in a really fun way. Definitely. Like, yeah. uh, if you're playing a game that's like in caverns, like turn the lights off and give everyone headsets, like headlights. You can play mm-hmm. that way. Like all of a sudden you've created this 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 theme, right? You can that's do... kind of like that. Yeah, right. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm really it's smart. Difficulty setting that into trying to like um, build um, systems that felt uh, that players still had agency over their actions. So not like putting in just like a random draw deck of like events that's just like screw you, you lose everything. Mm-hmm. Because like it doesn't the point of playing strategy games usually for people is to feel a sense of empowerment, whereas horror is inherently disempowerment. Mm-hmm. So it's just difficulties trying to like reconcile those two. Oh <laughs> man, I have some feelings about horror and empowerment, but yeah. this is not my panel. <laughs> I I am just moderating it so We'll, we'll talk about that later, though. All right, you had a question? Um, yeah, well, um, something I found when I, uh, a lot when I run horror RPGs. I don't do a lot of LARPing, but I'm, most, I'm mostly tabletop. But um, things will be going great. I'll have all the players, like, terrified, and it's wonderful. And then I'll sense <laughs> we're getting to the point where, you know, if the tension continues at this level too long, everyone's either going to disengage or just freak out. And so... I bring it down, I introduce you know, a safe zone, a bright uh, period of relaxation, and then all too often, like, it's after a couple minutes, and I'm saying, like, okay, so is everyone feeling like better? And it's like, yeah, yeah, good. So are we ready to go on? Uh, can't we just stay here forever? <laughs> <laughs> and it, like, it's, you know, it's half-joking at the time, but the thing is that like, you, know, you, you have to keep introducing, you have to keep relieving tension in order to keep building it up again so you don't you know, break people's uh, immersion. But I often find that relieving tension too often will remove momentum, will make it harder to keep the game going, keep the story progressing. And I was wondering like, how you would deal with situations like that, or how you have dealt like the, with those situations in your games. Um, have you played Left for Dead? Yes. Okay. So what you're dealing with is the safe room phenomenon, yep. um, mm-hmm. where you... You, you go through the difficult level, you kill all the zombies, you are low on health, you're low on resources, you're feeling stressed, uh, you make the final mad dash and you probably lose someone along the way. Poor coach. And then uh, you, you end up in the safe room, right? And that's where the level ends. And then it picks up again there. Yeah. The resources in the safe room are limited. There are, you know, the zombies aren't going to stay out forever. There are things that will drive you on. Because it's the natural response to want to stay there. Mm-hmm. It's your resources that keep you going forward. Um, or the lack of them, right? So, like, uh, my husband runs for us a game of Knights Black Agents monthly. And um, and it's fantastic. And we're really getting into it. We're making progress. And we haven't died in a long time. And... Uh, and we keep finding safe houses that we keep, like, we're, we're doing some downtime, we're doing some research, we're, we're trying to find out who our next target is, we're getting all of that in, but if we stay there too long, they come looking for us, mm-hmm. right? And they find us, because we are not actually player super spies, we are mm-hmm. just players. Um, so you're, it's, you're talking about, like... <laughs> when you have those uh, times to relieve tension, sort of gradually building it back up, mm-hmm. right? Like if they try to stay there too long, right? So, so they can have a temporary respite, 
but they have to know on some level that it's temporary. And you can still play with the stakes of if they're like, say, in The Walking Dead, and they're like, no, I want to stay here. I'm going to build a house behind this <laughs> fence and stay here forever because um, I'm tired of this other thing. It's not working anymore. You can actually use that to build tension within the group, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they all eventually resolve and say, okay, yes, we have to all go on now. Um, it's okay if the group splits a little bit and comes back together. That can work in your favor. Just always be looking for ways to turn that to your advantage. Even if it's not an immediate payoff in a ratcheting of suspense, mm-hmm. use that as a slower build. All right, we have five more minutes. I'm sorry. Does anyone have a question? You start. Okay. Yeah. So we play games to have fun. How do you like balance risking either kicking somebody out of the game or hobbling them so bad they're not having fun or <coughs> making risks actually matter more. I think player elimination we've learned over the last you know 30 years of game design and recently player elimination is bad it's yeah. generally there's, there's very few exceptions and times that it works so I think in board games, like it's a big no-no, especially for the game is an hour long because it's just not fun. Um, so I think having some kind of safety valve for saying like this is what happens if your character dies, and you've lost that character, but you bring in somebody else. I mean, I think you you have to be able to keep doing that. But like like I said earlier, in Dead of Winter, you know, we give the players multiple characters to start with. And if you lose all of your characters, you'll get more. But the fact that your characters die frequently, like it makes you feel more attached to them because you know that there's a chance that just when they move from one location to another, like they could just die in a random D12 roll. And there's nothing that you could do to save them. So you're more there's more tension of like, oh, I don't know if I want to take that extra move because I could just lose somebody. So I think I think it's it's a fine line to walk, but player elimination is a no no. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, don't ever take it. Don't I mean don't disempower your protagonist. Right? I mean yes, horror is scary and it's going to go wrong, but you should always have a choice to to do something productive, even if it's just running away to, to collect themselves. Right? That that should be an option. Don't ever put them in a situation where there's no escape or no no way. Um, um, I think the opportunity to give feedback is really important. Uh, you know, because when you get done with the situation, when you get done with the play session, uh, give people the opportunity to tell you what worked for them and what didn't work for them. Um, because one, that helps build trust in the group overall. And two, if they were feeling really disempowered and at some point just stopped having fun, you want to know that before you get in another three sessions and suddenly your player drops out or explodes at the table or, you know, whatever horrible might happen because of that. And it helps you head that off and keep everybody bought in and involved and having a good time, having a bad time. And, and whether it's an RPG or a board game, like kill characters off, because I think that's important, mm-hmm. but have, as either the designer or the DM, like have a plan for what you're going to do to get that player right back in the game. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a big difference between player elimination and losing your character and coming back in. So just having a plan for that is important. On the opposite side of that, a game like Ten Candles, when all of the candles goes out, uh, go out, all of the characters are dead or mm-hmm. dying or just completely broken in some way. So if you're going to eliminate characters, eliminate all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's going into it. You know that when you play yeah. the game, which helps. Mm-hmm. And, and Dread does it too. Like People die in Dread, but 
it happens in the last quarter of the game and it happens rapidly and yeah. until okay. everybody you can always opt out and dread be like I'm not pulling I'm gonna fail yeah, yeah. but something we haven't talked about and I think is also important is like you're not alone as a GM or as a player like if you don't know where to go next in a horror like you've got a group of really smart people who you love and, and enjoy the company like you can always feel these things with them. Yeah, have the conversation. Turn to a player and be like, what do you think that is behind that door? And like, then you're like, <coughs> first of all, you're giving yourself a break and you're letting <laughs> other people collaborate and, and work with you against these other players. Not against, but like helping you build uh, new ideas that um, you wouldn't expect. So like, you've got a, a group of players, you can rely on them. Everyone's always happy to, to sub in for a minute. And, we and have hide. time for one more quick question, if anybody has one. And if not, I don't want to speak for everybody, but if you have something you want to talk about later off yeah, the side, no, feel free to approach me. Or Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Don't talk to me. Again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Always happens. Let's, uh, uh, let's right. give a round of applause for our panel. Then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And our wonderful moderator. Thank Yay. you.